Good evening, LCM. Tonight is March 10th, 2021, and we are continually discovering the depths of ancient paths in our series. And tonight, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. Y'all want to dig a little bit deeper? Yeah. Now look, before we get to our sermon title, Ruby, I know you're waiting on it. Let's not forget that we are still in the days of Jeremiah. Got to be alert, got to be aware. These dark days of our time that have taken a bit of a, a slight reprieve, taken a little bit breather for the past couple of weeks. These dark days of our time are still here and we must be woke. We must be woke to the ancient past of our God more than any other social cry for injustice. The truth is, church, is we are moving along as good soldiers on an ancient path that God is going before us and he's showing you and showing me the ancient ways that are actually free from uh, extremism in our ranks. Yeah. They're, they're, I don't know if you've heard some of the news lately, but you realize that we have things that are going on right now. We've, we've shared so many of them with you over the past few weeks, but we have basically a mocking of our military going on that while other nations are literally focusing on a masculine trend in their nation, we have uh, clearly identified that our goal, our focus is to tailor combat uniforms for women, to make maternity flight suits and updating the requirements for hairstyles, since we are now a country who wants to send our women to go and protect us, our pregnant women at that. See, this is not what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom and this ancient path is not directed by a commander-in-chief that is uh, hiding. Who is that again? It might be Hayden Biden. <laughs> Dipping, ducking, and dodging all the real questions that are out there. <laughs> and dodge, okay. But we are on an ancient path. Amen. And that ancient path is supposed to give you confidence to be able to conquer every enemy that's put Amen. before you. That our confidence in this ancient path is elevating men and women in this room to heavenly heights. It's giving all people equality through the blood of Jesus and has a Yahweh Savaot, a commander with no problem, revealing his true nature to the powers, the rulers, and the authorities in the heavenly realm. Can somebody say hallelujah? Come on. When our confidence is found in him, that we will be the church of the living God that is fermented with the wine of heaven. We are bearing much fruit, and we are connected to the vine and planted on the mountain of God. So you're ready to get into the word. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. and We will start in verse 6. Say ancient paths when you get there. Very good, Rob. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Hmm. Break camp and advance. Everybody say advance. Advance. Advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. 
See, I have given you this land. Amen. A declaration. He continues, go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Look, the point of the mountain of God was to establish his very rules of engagement. That's what was happening on Mount Sinai. For his people that they would then might break camp after receiving those rules of engagement, advance and go to war with all the neighboring peoples and whatever mountains of archonic power that those nations were worshiping. Do you get that? They're receiving the rules of engagement so that they can then go to war. There's something more to advance and go into. On his holy mountain, God declares that he has given them this land and he's telling them now, go. You got to get up and you got to go do something. Go take possession of this very thing that I have shown you. What he is saying essentially is this. Don't stay on this mountain. Go and take this mountain to them. He's saying, leave this mountain, but still take what I gave you at this mountain to them. And here's the focus. He's telling them in the same way that God is telling us. You must become a mobile mountain of my ancient path. Everybody say mobile mountain. Mobile mountain. Which is actually leading us to the title of tonight's sermon in our ancient path series. The title of tonight's sermon is Mobile Mountain. I don't know if you could see it from where you are seated, if my very elementary Hebrew skills are correct. There are some Hebrew letters on the side of that tank, and on the side of that tank it says Golan. So that means that the mountain behind this picture is actually Mount Hermon, and you see the warfare that is there. Let's all turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 1. Somebody say mobile mountain when you get there. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 1. What we learned on Sunday was the fact that we had two mountains that were re representing two kingdoms. And then once you have that framework, you realize how important and what an incredibly, incredibly bold and uh, warrior-like move it was for Jesus to go up to Mount Hermon and do what he did in Matthew 16 and 17. Look here in Deuteronomy 12 and verse, verse 1. It says, these are the decrees and laws that you must be careful to follow. Somebody say, be careful. Be careful. You got to be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess. As long as you live in the land. The very first thing that you're supposed to do here to be careful is found in verse 2. Destroy completely all the places yeah. on the high mountains. You're supposed to come from the mountain of God and have a mobile mountain and begin immediately to engage not just the mountains, but the kingdoms that are being represented by these mountains. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree. Where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Do you realize it's not just the geographical marker, yeah. but there's something going on spiritual. When you're reading mountains in the word. By the way, I think I read 350 verses that had the word mountain or mountains in them today. That was half. And I didn't get to all of them. 
It is an incredible picture that you start seeing once you understand that it's more than just a singular multi-hundred million pound rock that you're seeing before you, but it's representing something different. Look, it says, it goes on in verse 3, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. The God that we are so glad loves us is a God who is about taking care of business, getting rid of the enemies that oppose them and anyone that goes along with them. See, the battles that we fight are not flesh and blood. Somebody say amen. Amen. But they begin on the mountain homes that have spiritual origins, and that's what we're seeing as we're studying this. The first part of the battle is to go to the very home base of the enemy's power, and you begin to wreak havoc. Isn't that a great thought? Isn't that a helpful thought for us here at LCM? Your job is not to just get saved and sit on a cloud one day like some fat baby angel. Your job is to reflect the warrior king that goes before us and says, yeah, I'm going to pick a fight with my enemies. I'm going to let them get some time. I'm about to come for you. Go ahead and rouse yourself. Go ahead and collect your warriors because when I come, I'm going to put you down. That is the call of Christianity. That is the call of what we have here at this church and anyone who is really in the kingdom. Listen to me, church. God is about ready to pick a fight. You could talk about the dark days of Jeremiah, but listen to the prophetic voice that's been going on here in our midst. God, our warrior king, is going out to battle, and he's starting to rally us. He is calling us. He is awakening us. He's preparing us. He's healing us. Why? Because we got a fight that he wants us to engage with. We are supposed to be in a battle. Did you hear the words in this passage? Destroy completely everywhere that false worship exists. Break down the altars, smash the sacred stones, burn the Asherah poles, cut down the idols, and wipe out completely their name from those places, from the mountains that they come from. You go in there and you start to wreak havoc because you are with the God who is a warrior and calls us to war with him. Why? Why does he do this? Because from Mount Sinai, God has already declared his victory. And what he charges us to do is to take the mountain to them. Say that with me. Take Take the the mountain mountain to them. Say it again. Take Take the the mountain mountain to them. them. Boy, that's a different kind of attitude in Christianity, isn't it? You're not sitting back. You're not waiting. You're not just trying to make it from day to day. Here I go. I hope I can make it until Friday. Oh, my goodness. I just need the weekend to get here. You are warriors that is about to, you're about to take the mountain to them. And we're going to possess the territory of our enemies. And we are going to dispossess their gods from wherever they are. Amen. Is anybody ready to have, pick a fight with me tonight? Yeah. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Amen. Pastor Wade is on fire. Look, in light of what Pastor Wade was just saying, the attitude that God has, God is not waiting for Friday to arrive so that he can relax and coast right on into Monday and begrudge each day afterwards. God is looking forward to the moment of confrontation. He's looking forward to the moment of war because he is victorious and certain of it before anything ever happens. 
Well, look at this in Deuteronomy 33, how he states this. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. When you begin to geographically plot these exact locations, as it begins with Sinai in the Arabia, you begin to see a war path. You begin to see an ancient war path that God is contending with those who contend with him. And Moses is here declaring the victorious nature of his God, and there's still more to do. But did you see that he came with myriads of holy ones from the south? It's not only just God, it's the holy ones that are riding along with him in that ancient warrior path. And from his mountain slopes? I mean, you should, when we read this and you look at it, you should see the victorious mountain scene that's appearing before you. The blessing that Moses is pronouncing. The Lord is coming from Sinai and his power is on the war path from there dawning from Sierra and shining forth from Mount Paran. Then immediately you see these myriads. Together with God, they are a mobile mountain. A mobile mountain that is bringing the mountain to them. Which indicates there's no room. There's absolutely no uh, ability to get involved in civilian affairs when you're on a warpath. That's a distraction. That's chaos. That's a diversion from the goal that God wants to accomplish. There is only the call to take the mountain to them. Come on. Let's all turn to Joshua chapter 10. I cannot tell you how many times this passage of scripture has come up this week. Isn't that right, Mr. Hayes? Joshua chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 9. Somebody say mobile mountain when you get there. Mobile mountain. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely. Somebody say completely. Completely. Woo! Defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them all along the road to Beth Haran and cut them down. That doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? It does when you're walking with your warrior king. Cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. I love this story. You have men who are warriors and going to battle, and they're like, we are going to win this for our great warrior king. And God's like, yes, and I'm going to help you to the point where I'm going to defeat the enemy much more than you will. Here's a little secret for you, church. That's the way it always is. You're going to have a sword in your hand, and you are going to go after your enemies, and the Lord is going to rain some things down to help you to accomplish it. It's kind of like when a little kid tries to help you, uh, Gabe, when he was the like Benaiah's age would try to help daddy bring in groceries from the car. I'd have a gallon of milk in my hand and he would want to help me. Is he really helping me? He slows me down. <laughs> I have to bend over. He's learning to be like his father and his father is carrying the weight. 
our warrior king is doing the exact same thing for us as we get ready. Joshua took what he had received from God on the ancient mountain and mobilized the entire army. You might have remembered some of the earlier mistakes that Joshua made. He's like, this is going to be easy. I'll just send a few people to go do it. In this case, he was like, I'm going to get everybody, including all of the best fighting men, the whole army. Let's all go because God is going to be with us. Let's do this. This is supposed to remind us, church, that you are to never have half measures. Somebody say, no half measures. No half measures. You have to have a wholehearted pursuit, have this warrior mentality. You have to go after it. You can't be distracted. You can't have civilian affairs that are going on. You have to have a wholehearted pursuit because if you have half measures, you're going to get yourself in trouble. That is not what we're talking about tonight is any half measures. The confidence that Joshua had in the heavenly origins of the mountain that he was fighting from allowed for artillery from heaven to rain down on the enemy. This is so incredible, but let's, let's just talk for a second. What if in light of what God is showing us, in what he's showing us about his mountains, what if these weren't just hailstones that were raining down? What if these were rocks from the very mountain of God that was moving with the people of God? What if this was God showing his affection and his power upon his people? See, Joshua and his army, as a mobile mountain, not only found artillery being supplied from the heavens, but Joshua literally found the ability to have the sun stand still yeah. in the sky so that they could keep delivering punishment on the enemy. They could keep delivering powerful, powerful artillery, both from the right hand and the left, to each of them as they were going forward. They kept raining down not only stones, but they were helping God to rain down judgment on all the God's enemies. Church, it is a time for us to understand that what is going on right now, somebody say right now. This exact season that we're in is God has got some tasks for us to complete. It is not enough for us to enter in with half measures. And it's not enough for us to enter in and not complete the task that he has given you. Yeah. Oh, we've got some tasks as a church. We're going to get to them. We are going to complete them. And we want to do it with every single one of you. But I need you to understand that what God is doing is he's trying to remove distractions. He's trying to remove the scales from our eyes so that we do not get entangled in civilian affairs and fail to complete the task that he's given you. Amen. That deserved a better amen than that. God is calling us to be able to complete tasks because he has enemies that he wants your foot to be on their neck. Amen. This is what we are going for. Don't be fretful about what you don't have. Oh, that changed, didn't it? That, that just felt different in the room right there. Oh, now, now you're really getting at it. When you are being fretful about what you don't have, you are starting to get distracted by the things that God is not at all concerned with. He has got his mountain, and the mountain of God is moving with you. His very presence is going to go before you. He's going to be more than just your rear guard. He's going to be the one that is laying out the path for you. But it is up to us to engage with this and move with the mountain so that we will complete the task. Somebody say amen. Amen. Are you a church that will complete the task? More importantly, are you a church that will defeat distractions? That try and deter you from those tasks. 
Can I tell you how important this very principle is? I don't want to move on too quickly. That whenever you have a clear outline of what God wants you to go accomplish, some of the greatest enemies are the things that go on in, in your very heart and mind. You become fretful and second guess what God will do th for you. But look at what happens in Joshua's life. He just advanced with full force. He became a mobile mountain because he knew who his God was. It wasn't promised to him that hailstones or stones from the mountain of God were going to descend and take care of most of the enemies more than what they could conquer with their own sword. It's not promised to you all the details of what God is going to conquer that surrounds you that's even greater than what your own anointing or force or intellect can ever accomplish. It's just a certainty that God's going to win. And more than just raining down those hailstones, stopping the sun from moving pushed pause on earth and the sun so that the task could be completed. What extent will our God go to to make sure that you are successful? He will go to every extent to make sure you have what you need. Just get up and go. Do something. Head in that direction. Go to verse 40 of Joshua 10 with me. Yes. So Joshua subdued three quarters of the region. Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes. Together with all their kings, he left no survivors. Complete and utter victory. No survivors. He teetotally destroyed all who breathed. What did that look like? They come upon a town. Joshua looks to all of his thousands of men and goes, everybody, quiet. I hear somebody breathing. Let's go hunt them down right now. This was a supernatural empowerment to complete a task on earth that represented God's victorious effort on earth as it was in heaven. But it came through the obedience to move forward and continue to advance until everything is accomplished. He totally destroyed all who breathed just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. See, he wasn't only winning in the realm of man. He was gaining victory in the heavens. Don't forget who the inhabitants of these cities were. What the sin had accumulated in that land, it was vomiting them out. And God's judgment was coming through Joshua and his men. From start to finish, this was one campaign. It wasn't just conquer this one city. Now it's completely something different. God was leading them to be his mobile mountain to accomplish fully and completely his one singular task. Joshua began to take the mountain to them. Yeah. He's defeating Nephilim. He's defeating whatever is before them. Anything, he totally destroyed all who breathed. It didn't matter their point of origin or if they were hybrid offspring. He came and got after it. Yeah, he did. Once you start understanding what this is like, you start realizing, I like what it feels like yes. to continue to walk, to yes. bring the mountain to them, that everywhere I go, there is no difference between your work life and your spiritual life. 
If you are thinking that, you do not understand what we are saying to you tonight. There's no difference between your home life and your church life. It's just life. Yeah. You are supposed to bring the mountain wherever you go. You are supposed to be God's representative fighting for shalom and defeating the enemies wherever they may be. You got to bring the mountain to them. Somebody say, take the mountain to them. Take the mountain to them. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Man, I love my church. I just say Psalm 2 and some of you are like, mm. Mm. I see where you're going, Pastor. Man, I love this church. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? <laughs> That's kind of funny to me. Why do, why, do, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers bend together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. That's an interesting way to begin to speak about the Lord is his chains and his shackles. That's not what they're under. No. Don't we have an answer for this seemingly rhetorical question? Why do the nations conspire? The reasons that the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain is that they're showing themselves to be of the wrong mountain. They're yeah. showing themselves yes. to be of the wrong kingdom. They are identifying it in that. That these wicked offspring on the ancient deviant mountain think that they can band together to dethrone the Lord and stand against his anointed army that is moving with this mobile mountain. They think that if they just band together enough that you'll start to cave. They think that if we can just add enough. Anybody had a, what's... What is, what is it called? The, you get the snowball effect. You feel like one thing goes difficult and then another and then another and then another. You know what that is? That's an enemy from a, from a deviant mountain that's trying to say, if we could just do enough, if we can just band together enough, maybe they'll forget that they're already victorious. Maybe they'll forget that they have more strength than we can stop because we are plotting in vain and we know it. Wow. Maybe if we can just keep throwing things at them. If we can just distract them enough, maybe they'll just stop for us because we can't beat them. See, why do the nations conspire? It's because they're hoping they can get you not to be a part of the glorious, victorious army that God is going to win with. He'll do it by himself. He doesn't need us, and he wants us. We want you. We want every one of you in this church to get this right. Don't let things pile up on you, and actually you take yourself out of the fight. Yeah. The vast majority of Christianity does not lose because their God is powerless. They lose because they just quit. That's a good word. You cannot fail if you don't quit. That's a, that's a great word. You will be victorious, Chris and Joy, if you just don't quit. quit. If you continue to walk forward in the mobile mountain that God has with you. Let's go on to verse 4 and see this gets much better. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. laughs. It sounded just like Don Potter in one of his songs. Ha, ha, ha! That's me. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Wade. 
<laughs> the one in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at him, at them. He rebukes them in his, whole, in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. So let's put this together. He is laughing at them. Look how cute that is. The nations, the peoples, the kings, the rulers, these defective celestial archon. Look how precious that is. Mean, this is just a joke. And then it escalates. I'm going to deal with this and deal with this severely. But in the context of these four things that he lists, that he laughs, he scoffs, he rebukes in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath by saying this very phrase. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. This king that I have enthroned and made my mobile mountain, taking what is in heaven and bringing it to earth, reconciling every enemy that has stood against me. There is nothing within God in this matter that he's just joking around. That he's just using an alliteration for emphasis. This is who he is, and this is what he will do. See, so look, I've installed my king on my holy mountain, and that mountain is mobile. Isaiah 2, 2 says this, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Nothing equal nor greater to what it is. What kind of confidence should you have? All the confidence in the world. What kind of victorious attitude should you have? One that supersedes every thought of failure and says with certainty, I will be victorious because I know that I am a mobile mountain. I'm bringing the mountain to them. I'm not waiting for it to come to me. Come on, consider Daniel chapter 2. This is not in the notes. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Consider a rock that wasn't cut out by yeah. human hands that comes in and begins to be a mountain that fills the earth. You want to talk about a mobile mountain. We have got a king and a kingdom that cannot be defeated. It is only growing. It is only going. And it's going to keep moving. Consider Revelation 2 that happens to quote Psalm 2 that says to those who overcome the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. Why? Because it's the verse right after the one yeah. that we just read of God angrily and in his wrath saying, I have appointed my king and on my mountain, my holy mountain Zion. Therefore, you and I are supposed to learn how to ask for the nations as the inheritance. Yes. We're supposed to say that our great king is going to be super victorious over everything. And he wants us to do the same. Ask me. Ask for the nations. Ask me for the Aswan region. I will give it to you as an inheritance. Because you're going to be my inheritance. And I will give it to those who overcome. Who are victorious. Just like me. See, because I got a mobile mountain. And I can move where I need to. And I want to move in you. And I want to move on your behalf. I, I told you that I looked through hundreds of scriptures today just on the idea of mountains, and that was just today. I've got a couple. You can go through the book of Psalms and just study mountains, and it will bless your very soul. 
we got a couple of them on the screen that we want to talk to you about in this mobile mountain. Think about Psalm 36. Your love, O Lord, it reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest of mountains. That one that is moving to that place that Isaiah promises us about. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength. It's almost like he's a mountain fortress for us, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Mm. I wonder which mountains those, I wonder which kingdom those mountains belong to. Yeah. The ones that are going to get decimated, the ones that are going to get made low and brought down. Psalm 121, it came up in during our worship. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Yeah. I don't need to look to all the mountains in the world. I know exactly. My help, it come, he comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I'm going to go to the highest mountain because I know the kingdom that he represents. I know that he's going to help me to put things in right shalom. I know that he is going to be my easer and strengthen me exactly when I need it. You could go through and look just in the Psalms and just in the book of Isaiah and be blessed and wear yourself out and study on the mountains. If you look at the last 15 and 20 chapters of Isaiah, you're going to find overwhelming mountain language that reminds you of this kingdom that cannot be defeated. But that's just in the, that's just in the Tanakh. Turn with us to Matthew chapter 4 as we make our turn here into the Newer Testament and make some incredibly practical applications to what we're saying. As we're here in Matthew 4, in that understanding of being a mobile mountain, I want you to realize this is a, a position of offense. Saying that you're going to take the mountain to them is a position of going on the offense. Waiting to do something and yet doing nothing is doing something. But it is not going on the offense. When you are operating as God's mobile mountain, you will go on the offense and you will come into certain confrontation with defective heavenly powers that you are victorious over. So Jesus, starting out his ministry, the only real history we have before this point is at the age of 12, whenever his parents left him at the temple. We zoom forward to here at the age of 30. His ministry is commencing. He's finally there, man. It's time to be a mobile mountain on the offense. And what happens? He goes into the wilderness. There's the temptation to turn the stones into bread. He quotes Deuteronomy 8. He's then brought from the wilderness to Jerusalem, put at the highest point of the temple. He quotes Deuteronomy again. And now, think about the, the geography of where we've gone. Wilderness, Jerusalem, and now to a very high mountain. It looks like we keep going north. Verse 8, again the devil took him up to a very high mountain, and from that point showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, 
Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Well, what this is setting up is that here in the Newer Testament, the living word of God, the, the living Ark of the Covenant with the word of God in it, is a mobile mountain confronting celestial powers head on. And what we covered last Sunday, what happened in Matthew 17, standing at the pinnacle of Mount Hermon, he is there in his transfigured state saying, I am unstoppable. I can stand here and shine in the greatest glory that I had with my father. Moses and Elijah are here witnessing it with me. And I'm giving you disciples the confidence to descend from this mountain and take this mountain to them. Go be victorious just as I was victorious. For thousands of years, the devil has done nothing but deceive, manipulate, and condemn men over and over again. But this is the point where it stopped. And the mountain of God began to come to earth in confrontation with celestial powers. I wonder what mountain Satan took him up to. One on which he could then display the kingdoms of the earth as if they were his to give. Huh. Immediately after that, Jesus goes into the region of Galilee and he begins to minister. Look at verse 17. You're still in Matthew 4. Just look down a few verses. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Woo! What would that have been like? The actual word of God begins to preach. And what is his first message? Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. See, after taking the mountain directly to the chief... Of the defective celestial powers, Jesus takes the mountain and begins to move to the men on earth. He took the mountain and dealt with it right there against the, the prince of the power of the air. Satan himself that we later is just, we see described clearly. But he takes it first there and then he begins to move with that mountain towards the people that are there. Not saying that I will crush you like the celestial powers but repent so I can liberate you from your captivity. Yes. See, since we're not fighting against flesh and blood, what Jesus does to the spiritual powers is he destroys them totally. But what he does to the people who are controlled by them, the captives, he says, repent so I can liberate you. He is taking the mountain to them. The mobile mountain of God's power has always been aimed to liberate the offspring of Adam while annihilating the offspring in the Rephaim. He's trying to liberate mankind. And like Joshua, Jesus was bringing God's mountain into this region to those high places throughout Israel that needed to be conquered. Look as it continues on. He's saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, same region, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. 
I love those phrases, going on from there. He's continuing to move forward. Now that he's addressed the celestial archon, which he will again do at the end, near the end of his ministry, he's beginning to gather. He's beginning to call and sets out for anointed ones to follow him. He is building an army of men who yeah. will go with him and be the same yeah. type of mobile mountain that he is. See, like Joshua, Jesus had Israelites follow his lead. He put their feet on the necks of the enemy. Yeah. That's what the disciples were learning how to do, to put their boots on the neck of every enemy that came across them. He was teaching them how to crush the demonic forces and liberate their fellow Israelites just as he was doing. Yeah. A call to repentance is a call to discipleship so that you can join in the fight of being God's mobile mountain and learn how to put your boot on the neck of the enemy. God is teaching that to us here in this place. We are learning what it's like to put the enemy underfoot and not just any foot. We're learning how to put the enemy under your foot. And that's exactly what continues on here in a beautiful way. Take a look at verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, also the region of Bashan, is Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Like Joshua, Jesus demonstrated the victory that he expected other Israelites to live in and continue in. He was restoring mankind's role to correctly witness the image of God all over the earth, earth but starting in the nation of Israel. The victor victorious walk of King Jesus destroys the demonic strongholds. It destroys archonic forces while liberating those who are held captive by them. Jesus is taking the mountain to them, and they are finding healing, freedom, and life-giving power from the very living, walking, breathing Word of God Himself. Doesn't the Word of God start to make more sense to you when you have the understanding that kingdoms, that heavenly forces even, that celestial powers are, are there at work? And when Jesus is healing the demon-possessed, he's making declarations by doing that, that he's of a different ancient mountain. He is the original ancient path, and he is teaching his very disciples to do the same. Yeah. It makes it so much more realistic. It makes it so much more powerful than some little fairy tale that you learned as a kid. Oh, it's just he's going around doing good things. Yes, but there is a war that he is doing these things in. He is preparing his yes. people. He's teaching them. The angelic forces are looking at it. The celestial powers understand it. And we are beginning to understand it as a church. We're beginning to dial in to these ancient paths and realize that there's more. Somebody say there's more. There's more. There's more to these passages than we've seen. I want you to think about your discipleship here at LCM. And how with every one of you sitting in this room, with maybe the exception of just a handful, we have pushed you to grow more and more in your function and call, teaching you the same way that Jesus taught his disciples. 
We want you to step forward and go multiply ministries. You're going to encounter the attack. You're going to encounter hardship. But we're going to stand right next to you and show you how to engage in battle and be victorious every single time. We are a better church for it. I'm looking around. I'm seeing more and more families that are competent ministers and warriors of the living God. I'm watching people defeat depression over and over again, take cycles and break them and make them stop now, and then take it a step further. Go teach other people how to do the exact same thing. You don't have to give into that. I know the answer. I know the rules of engagement that God gives, and I'm going to share them with you. We're going to defeat this thing together. As we continue in this discipleship, we're going to be making more disciples and collectively as a body, be a mobile mountain that continues to take the mountain to them. Come on, this makes so much more sense in your daily walk. You are not wrestling. Uh, your, your enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not the lady who is so filled with fear when you walk into the store that she's about to have a heart attack because you didn't put on your mask. <laughs> Perhaps that just happens to me. <laughs> See, that is not your problem. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 tells it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong. Be strong. In God's power. Put on the full armor of God because you're in battle. You're in war so that you can take your stand against the devil, demonic, archonic schemes and stratagems. Yeah. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Anybody else need to be reminded of that sometime? Yes. Anybody get a little bit crossways in the battle and you think that it's the guy who's sitting next to you instead of the archonic power that's driving that person? Mm. See, we're going to demolish the archonic power, but we're going to liberate the men who are right there and captive Amen. to it. Come on now, you got to get this with me today. We, we're going to demolish the rulers, the, the, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Yeah. We're going to demolish those. We're going to have no mercy. We're going to have no retreat. We're going to demolish them all. But for the men and the women who are captured by it and captive by it, you and I are sent here to liberate them so that they might become what we are because we are becoming what he is. Amen. This allows you, if you get distracted by the people who are in front of you, you're missing the real battle. If you wow. get distracted by the number, or if it's like me, the lack of numbers in your bank account. I have a lot of numbers, but they're all zeros. If you're getting distracted by all of these peripheral things, you're missing the battle. And God is helping us to engage rightly in this battle Amen. so that we can bring the mountain to them. Amen. I just want to say, Paul, Lynette, you have the ability to go and crush celestial powers. As a couple, you have the ability to go and liberate people who are captive. I see the giftings that God has given you. I want to encourage you. Get up and move as a mobile mountain. Move in unity and watch God's power, his hailstone kind of power will follow right in front of you. 
This goes for every family in this church. Do not be afraid. Do not hesitate. When God tells you to go and do something, realize that he chose you. You didn't choose him. And he's designing you to go crush that celestial power and liberate those who are slave and captive to it. Turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to pick up in verse 17. Say mobile mountain when you get there. Now, Pastor Wages referenced Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Let me give you some context of what we're leading into with Acts chapter 19. You have these seven sons of a rabbi named Sceva. These seven sons got zealous after seeing some of the power displayed. And they went out to go and try and cast out some demons. They tried to replicate a mobile mountain without actually having experienced the mountain of God. As they were trying to cast out this one or uh, these demons, say, yeah, Jesus I know, Paul I heard of, I don't know you. Well, it's funny that Pastor Wade mentioned earlier, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but whenever you are operating from a position of not experiencing God's mountain, but trying to be a mobile mountain, it may very well injure your flesh and draw your blood. Because these seven sons left naked and bleeding as a result of trying to do this imposturing of God's mobile mountain. But that's not who we are in this place. You are men and women who are filled with the spirit of God and the mountain of God that is moving through you. So Acts nineteen seventeen says this after the seven sons of Sceva. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus... Everybody say Ephesus. Ephesus. They were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Hallelujah. I'm sure it absolutely was. There was some demolishing happen in the heavenly realms and liberating on earth. Look at verse 18. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed to what they had done. As a result of men operating as a mobile mountain, we have repentance. Exactly what we read earlier in Matthew 4. Verse 19. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 50,000 of one day's wages. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Do you see this mobile mountain gaining momentum and beginning to impact these celestial powers and liberate people on earth? Well, let's put this together. Repentance that we see here resulting in discipleship brought about destroying distractions of divination. They brought together all the things that they, they had let fuel their, their pagan celestial archonic worship, and they burned them. They were crushing the cycles of carnal thinking. What do you think made people have all of these materials and put their trust in them? Because they were not aware of the power found on the mountain of the living God. But now they were. They were burning away the scales over their eyes that were fueled by sorcery. This grabbing of power outside the name of God. 
Look, the people could see the difference between what Paul was doing as a mobile mountain versus the gods that they served. And what they were able to see clearly is that the God that Paul was serving was greater. And they wanted that. And just because of a few men functioning as a mobile mountain, captives were set free. While the very rulers and powers and authorities in heavenly realms were dispossessed from their very territory. That territory of Ephesus. And this dispossession is what later causes the crowd in Ephesus to respond by shouting, Great is Artemis for two hours. They were rioting against the lack of equity for their God. That's a direct connection to what will happen here. There's a battle in the heavenly realms for the souls of men, and it is only won through you, saint. Everybody say, through me. Through me. Becoming a mobile mountain of God. Come on, we just have a few scriptures, and I really want you to get this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 18. Paul was such a man who was working in this mobile mountain. I believe that Acts 19, 11 says that he did extraordinary miracles. How amazing does a miracle have to be for it to be an extraordinary miracle? It's already supernatural by being a miracle. And Paul is walking around understanding and stirring up, literally creating insurrections and riots everywhere he goes because he's displacing the archonic powers and liberating the men who are under their control. Yeah. This is an amazing thing. Look at Ephesians 1. This should start to come together in a special way for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Come on, church. Are the eyes of your heart enlightened yet? Do you, do you know the hope that God has called you to? We got three people who know the hope to which God has called you. Praise God for the three of you. Do you know the hope that he's called you to? I want, that's okay for an answer. I want to know more. The riches of his glorious inheritance in you. Inside of you, you are the inheritance of God. That's why we must engage in the same type of warfare that he's calling us to. You are supposed to have the eyes of your heart enlightened, knowing the hope that you are his inheritance, that he has called you. Look at verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. What God is going to help us to do is to not just think about his incomparably great power. To not just talk about his incomparably great power, power, but to be able to walk in that kind of glorious power that his presence might be made manifest, not only in our lives, but in the world around us. Don't you want to be used of God to accomplish his purposes on this earth? We are not in just a bless me club. We want his presence on us so that we will go out and do, so that we will accomplish and when he sees people that are going, they're breaking camp, yeah. they're advancing, they're not yeah. staying just at the place where the mountain is, you are taking the mountain to them, he will rain his incomparably great power upon yeah. you. Amen. 
For those who believe, for us who believe, that power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The resurrection power of God is at work and we're seeing it manifest in Jesus Christ and that elevates him where he is seated in the heavenly realms far above. Somebody say far above. above. Not just a little bit above. Not just barely above, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is trying to be invoked anywhere in all of God's creation. Not only now in this present age, but also in the age to come. That is the power of our God that he is working into us. But I got to tell you something. There's even more. Somebody say there's more. There's more. Let's go to chapter 2 and look at verse 6. Remind me again, what book are we reading from? Okay, just want to make sure. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, re reflect back on the scripture we just read. In the previous chapter, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Chapter 2 says God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him at the right hand of the Father, to put it in context. And all this is occurring in the heavenly realms, this highest of mountains that exist. And for what purpose? This was done for victory now, in this age, and the age to come, in order that he might show his supremacy through you. God wants to show his supremacy on earth through you. This is your current status. This is your current station because you were saved. Everybody say saved. Saved. Because you are saved, you are now seated. Say seated. Seated. And you are now stationed in the heavenly realms. Everybody say stationed. Stationed. So having been saved, seated, and stationed, you are in a place of advantage as a mobile mountain. You exist with Christ in the highest of heavenly realms, far above all rule power, and authority. There is nothing that has equal or over um, uh, higher achievement than the throne that Christ sit at and you sitting right next to him. You lack no power from heaven to be at your disposal. As a result of being saved, seated, and stationed, you are no longer stationary. You're stationed, but you're no longer stationary. You've got to move on to the next mountain. You've got to move on to the next celestial confrontation. Turning around and just staring at the, the victories in the past is not good enough. You have to face forward and move forward. Break camp and advance because there's more to go conquer. As you are mobile, as you are taking the mountain to them... The power of the mountain of God is with you and for the purpose of going and liberating captives. Consider Colossians 2 in verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
and you. Somebody say, me? me? Yes, you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Why does it keep saying it this way? He has got all authority, and you have fullness in Christ. He has given it to you. You have fullness, church. Look at me. You have been given fullness in Christ. The one that is far above everybody else. That is what you have. How important is it for us to shake off the distractions that keep us from being able to focus and walk in that? How important is it for us to break the cycles, to be liberated so that we can actually walk as people Amen. who have the fullness of Christ living inside of you? He gave it to you. He gave it to me. How many things in the word of God does it say that he has now given you? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to walk in the fullness. He gave it to you already. I'm, ch I'm trying to find the fullness of. He gave it to you. Yeah. Our problem is, is that we just stop and we don't walk in it because we forget. We, we trust our feelings. We trust our own vision. We trust what we do more than we trust what the word of God says, but not you and not tonight. You are those who have been saved and seated and stationed with God, and he is going to help you because you have a place in the heavenly realms, but you also have a place here in this realm so that God might work Amen. through you, that you might be the very vessel, that you might be in the very image of God accomplishing exactly what he wants you to accomplish, Amen. to demolish the demonic strongholds and to liberate the captives. That's what God is working in us tonight. The pastor said something that is directly applicable to where we're at right now. We read clearly stated promises about what we have now. But inside, internally, we negotiate and have a conversation with that truth. But that's not the way that I feel. I don't feel like I have the fullness. So something must be wrong. Something must be wrong with me. Something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with God. His word is his word. And what we're trying to do tonight in repeated fashion, we're trying to stir up your zeal for the truth of what you already have. We know as your pastors what you need to go outside of these doors, break camp, and advance. We know what you need to go in and take possession of the land that God has given you. And we want you tonight to stir up your zeal. Be the army of God that he has made you. Believe what his word says that you have the fullness of him within you. Do you have a church? Yes. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy one, verse three, as I urged you, he's speaking to Timothy, as I urged you, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. I want to begin to link some things together that we intentionally put down and saw in the word. Timothy, 
was a, a disciple, a first-hand disciple of Paul himself. He traveled with Paul on multiple missionary journeys. And after visiting Ephesus, they then began to travel back towards Jerusalem. And then Paul says, hey, I got to go somewhere else after Jerusalem. I need you to go back to Ephesus. There's more work that needs to be done there, and I want you to oversee that work. You know how long Timothy stayed in Ephesus? Somewhere around 30 years. 30 years faithfully administrating and taking care of what was entrusted to him that then he would entrust to other reliable men. But more importantly, you want to know how Timothy died as the pastor of the church in Ephesus? Pull up this next slide. This is from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Timothy was a celebrated disciple of St. Paul and bishop, overseer of Ephesus where he zealously governed the church until A.D. 97. A.D. 97. So the, the book of Ephesians was written somewhere between 57 and 62 A.D., and 1 Timothy was written somewhere around 64 to 69 A.D. Until A.D. 97. At this period, as the pagans were about to celebrate a feast called Katagogion, Timothy, meeting the procession, severely reproved or rebuked them for their ridiculous idolatry, which so exasperated the people that they fell upon him with their clubs and beat him in so dreadful a manner that he expired of the bruises two days later. Let's reflect back on Acts 19. Paul in Ephesus being a mobile mountain, displaying the power of God and the supremacy over celestial powers, liberating men on earth, stood against a rioting crowd that chanted, Great is Artemis. He was beaten and left for dead outside that town. It was only through resurrection power and the laying on of hands that stood him back on his feet, and he went back into that city and preached again. What we see here in Timothy is that though absent of resurrection power to stand back up, he still did the exact same thing his discipler taught him how to do. He took this word written to him in 1 Timothy to heart, held on to it for 30 years until his dying death in the way that his discipler demonstrated to him. What will you do? What will you do with this letter of our lives being given to you right now? Will you remain being saved? Will you remain being seated? Will you remain being stationed with where God put you even until your dying breath after being beat to death? Oh, I think you will. We raised you better than that. We've raised you to demonstrate what we do because we believe you can do what we do. There are many in this room that are going to be called across the world. Some may even have the great privilege of having your children go and land in some of the countries of Aswan. And some of you are going to stay here and learn to be like Timothy, holding to the very instructions, yet being a mobile mountain right where God has planted you right here. In 2 Timothy 2, here's, here's going to be our close. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1 says this. You then, my son. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
I think he learned how to do that. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Here's the key for you and me tonight. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier. We are not of those who are going to run away from difficulties. We're going to embrace it because we understand that we're in a war and you don't get to choose your assignment. You don't get to choose when you've just had enough and need a vacation. You are in war and you are having a mobile mountain that you are presenting and that you are representing. We're going to endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Church, I can tell you exactly what we need to do tonight. We need to get away from civilian affairs in our thinking. We need to get away from the scales that have come across and on our eyes. You know what the problem with scales on your eyes is? You can't see. It's like me trying to read without my glasses. I can't see to have the word of God impact me. See, those scales, those cycles that need to be moved away. God is moving on our church so that we would be able to engage in the battle that he has in the days ahead. We're just in light skirmishes right now. Some of you are like, wow, this is a skirmish. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling the weight of this. Rob, you're in light skirmishes right now. These are light and momentary troubles that we are having. And there are battles that are yet ahead. Did you catch it in Acts 19 that Pastor read? Those who believed came forward and repented. Those who believed had actual idolatry and sorcery going on in their lives. But the repentance that they brought was able to shake the city that they were in, the city of Ephesus. Stand to your feet with me tonight. It is time for us to get rid of the distractions. It is time for us to get rid of the cycles that we keep going through. It is time for us to get rid of the scales off of our eyes. Our God is telling us exactly. Somebody say exactly. Exactly what we must do. We have the mobile mountain of God's presence and of his power. And you and I are at war. But it's time to get rid of these distractions. If you're thinking about more about your task list on any given day than what your mezuzah is, you are distracted. When you are thinking and cannot get the cycle of your thoughts right, you are not walking in the kind of power that God wants to unleash on you tonight. If you have scales on your eyes and think that you are just fine. And that's always where you seem to stay. Everything just seems to be just dandy. I want to encourage you. You are called to be a victorious warrior of our warrior king. As soon as I begin to pray, we're going to lift our hands to the heaven. The altars are going to be open and we are going to get free from the distractions, the scales and the cycles that are here because we got a battle to